Welcome to Episode 9 in a two-part series of Smells Like Teen Parent, a podcast for adolescents and the adults who annoy them. I'm your host, Jenny DeBevitt, a counselor and academic consultant with 20 years' experience working with youth. In the last episode, we talked about what ADHD and ADD is, what helps teens focus, and answered questions from parents of teens with ADD. In this episode, we have the honor of speaking with psychiatrist Pamela Moslin, who offers over 35 years' experience in the medical field and currently serves on the staff at Evergreen College in Olympia. Please download, subscribe, share this episode around so we can keep building an informed, supportive, humble community of caregivers. I also want to note here that one of the objectives of this podcast is to include a variety of perspectives and diverse expertise. Though I might not agree or subscribe to all of the same practices or orientation as my guest speakers, I hope that you listeners find something useful to consider in how to approach mental health for your adolescents. Ultimately, mental health is complex, requiring us to do the research or have someone we trust do it for us, <laughs> think critically about what we are learning and have honest, compassionate discussions with those who will be most affected, our children. If you have questions or you'd like to provide feedback, please email smellsliketeenparent at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Phil's Coffee. From its first day 25 years ago in San Francisco, Phil's made his first perfect cup of coffee. Now adults everywhere can experience the quality and care, warmth and connection of his variety of brews. Phil's Coffee is love served in a cup. Well, I'm Pamela Moslin. I'm a medical doctor and MD. So I studied medicine and then specialized in psychiatry, which is disorders of the mind as opposed to surgery. I've been practicing psychiatry, I guess, for like 30 years. And I live in Olympia with my husband, who's also a psychiatrist, and our three adult kids who are two adult kids who I can't believe I said three. I don't know why I did that. Two adult <laughs> Well, your husband is the third, obviously. That they go back and forth thinking that we parented them really weird because we're psychiatrists and every parent is weird to some extent. Oh yeah. I've been told I don't know anything about anything. Yeah, really anything. (laughs) So humbling. On the college campus and, and in fact, in private practice in psychiatry, we forever have people coming in and saying, I can't think straight. I'm a, I have ADHD and I need to have the medication and the medication, people come in wanting it. And I think I can't ever decide whether that's because there's a lot of undiagnosed people out there with an attention deficit disorder and they're coming in and they truly do do better. The first thing I would say about it, though, is I don't think of it as ADHD, the hyperactive part. I always call it ADD just attention deficit disorder. The hyperactive part happens sometimes, but it's really not a core, what I would consider a core symptom. It was Mm. kind of created like that, like over the course of my career, there's been a real development in ADD. Back in the 90s, it very much was ADHD. And the only people that had it were little boys who bounced all over the place and never sat down in a chair. It didn't allow for adults to get diagnosed. It didn't mm-hmm. allow somebody who sat still to get diagnosed. And it, it it labeled everybody who came in and complained about it as a drug addict, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Over and then somewhere in the, the 2000s, before 2010, they began to think that, you know, there are adults out there who come in who weren't diagnosed before before 12, before 7. Now in 2022, the um, attention deficit disorders are really understood kind of more broadly and, and it continues to um, improve. It's going to continue really changing. But right now where we stand is that 
there is an attention deficit. The attention deficit disorder is a cognitive thing, not necessarily jittery, hyperactive thing. It's a cognitive thing. But you do have this, you know, it's like, there's kind of like three populations. There's the population that bounces all over the place. <laughs> the teachers say, wow, look at that kid. He's a, ever sits down and never yeah. shuts up. That kid gets picked out really quickly. There's another population who's silent. And that's usually the little girls. They're too kind of scrambled in their heads. They don't ever talk. And that one never gets picked out because that's the little girl sitting in the back who's never making trouble and never raises her hand. And you're just like, it's good. Let's just, <laughs> let's leave her alone. But she doesn't get picked up and diagnosed. And there's actually more recently within the last five years, there's been one that's kind of called sluggish. And people who, they're not depressed, but they have no energy. It's like their executive function, their ability to initiate activity. is just sluggish. They can't do it and they can't think. So we see it in the symptoms very easily with some students when we're seeing that like hyperactivity and yeah. attention seeking behavior. But how do we recognize it in other kids who might be that sort of quiet or maybe a little distracted, but just unengaged in their learning? Even in the kids that bounce around, there's a whole differential of what it could be. You know, it could just be um, they 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 have an oppositional disorder, or they're just not able to sit still, or they want attention. But what we look for is actually it's a cognitive disorder. Is what it's called. It's a, it's an executive function disorder, mm -hmm. and uh, that's. That's what it is. And the, the, the prefrontal cortex is right here behind your forehead. And it's the newest part of the brain. And other animals actually don't usually have a prefrontal cortex. It's um, where we're able to think. And so our executive functions come from there. So the executive functions, when I talk to somebody who comes in and says, I need to get some Adderall, I always want to find out if they're able to understand what they're supposed to do. So since I'm in a college, I ask them if they, if they have homework. Do they understand what their homework's supposed to be? Yeah, the teacher told us to go home and write a paper about growing mushrooms on an organic farm. And, and that's good. They now get that. Then it's, is it, are they able to kind of sequentially understand what they need to do next? Are they able to say, so to do that, I need to sit down at my desk and have a book on organic mushrooms and read it. And um, then kind of begin to write the paper, type it up and get it nice and send it to the professor. And those are all separate steps. So the question then is, are you able to get up and sit down? And somebody with an attention deficit disorder finds just this first step is really difficult. You know, it's the kid who you want to say, oh, he's procrastinating, that they can't kind of get to the point where they can sit down, but that's the first step. If somebody can do that and they remember what the project is, that's a good thing. If they're able to sit down, that's another step. They need to be able to do that. They need to be able to sit still and um, write that paper. They can't keep having a break. If they're uh, motivated, if they're able to initiate activity, that's kind of what we see. If they're able to organize activities, if they're able to participate in the activities, if they go to class, and they're able to understand what the teacher's saying and, and write notes about it rather than sitting there and looking around and thinking, this, I can't get this. What's he talking about? It's not so much just they can't focus. When you can't focus, that's what people usually think a attention deficit disorder is. You know, I, I can't sit down at my desk and not think about what my boyfriend's doing or what my mother's doing and all this other stuff. And if that's the only thing that's happening, it's probably not an attention deficit disorder because there's people who just don't want to kind of get their stuff done or they're able to understand what they need to do. They're able right. to 
helps them. They get motivated. They want to get it done. They sit down and begin it. And they understand what they need to do. They they need to study about mushrooms. You know, they need to do these tasks. Um, they understand that they need to turn it in by this date. But there's a real qualitative difference between somebody who's just not getting it done and somebody who has an attention deficit disorder. So when we see that inability to organize those steps, does medication solve that problem entirely? Or are there other ways that teens and young adults and adolescents can can kind of build those skills? And how can parents help them? You want the kid to be on medic. You want the adult, whoever has it, they need to mm-hmm. be on because it it's a chemical thing. And it Wait, gets- so you th- you you are a big proponent that they need to be on medication. Should we just put it in the water? We should put Prozac in the water too. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. And you're not sure that what I'm saying is credible or you're thinking, you know, of course she's going to say be on a pill. She's a psychiatrist and she sells. Um- no, I just think it's important for, you know, I'm think in terms of the audience, because yes. I think there is a lot of discussion around, do I, when do I medicate my kid? Do I medicate my kid? Are there yes. ways to treat ADD without medicating them? And what, you know, is there a combination of medication and behavioral interventions? You know, which, what's the magic, what's the magic combination here? The reluctance to think that it's a chemical thing that could be fixed with a medication that, Mm -hmm. so what it is, is very much the pathways that we can see actually on, on brain imaging studies that it's kind of like, you know, the I-5, it's got a a traffic accident and it's not going to get through there. They have to go around the surface streets or something. And that's what we see neurologically in the brain, that the ability of the brain to kind of function in a coordinated manner with the prefrontal lobe is impaired. It's reality. Is medication enough or are behavioral skills essential too? It's a chemical reality. It's not something that, you know, it's not an attitude or or a habit or something. And so what the medication does is that it improves different molecules in the brain and that allows the I-5 accident to get cleared up. And Mm. then the messages are sent more cleanly, more effectively to the prefrontal cortex. The medication makes a big difference. How does the stigma around psychiatric medication affect the way that we address mental illness? There's a stigma of psychiatric medications. People think, you know, if you're just sitting there feeling down, why don't you just kind of go to a movie and feel better? It's, you don't need to take a pill for that. It's funny because we wouldn't think twice about getting meds for a disease with clear physical symptoms, right? It's a real, it's a misunderstanding. It's, you know, psychiatry and the ability to treat this stuff is so new for all of, you know, the 100,000 years or 10,000 years that people have been people dealing with this kind of stuff. And now we're kind of describing different things as far as particular disorders and coming Mm -hmm. up with actual chemicals that help with treating that. A lot of people think that we're making it up. We, meaning the organized medicine, are coming up with this stuff just out of the air. When we go and we look at a thousand kids who are adults who have an attention deficit disorder, it's strikingly similar. You know, they're all... You mean they all have the same sort of symptoms that they're displaying? Yes. And if they don't, there's kind of a doubt that that's even what it is. Somebody who's got a kid like this, who's not been diagnosed with, with this and doesn't want to give their kid treatment, they want to just not give them candy and make sure that they write a list. And having skills is very helpful if you have an attention deficit disorder. It's a disorder of the brain. Neurologically, the dopamine and such isn't blowing good. And so the medication, it helps in a really significant way. It affects the people who take it in many different parts of their life. People, people who have an attention deficit disorder 
disorder. They're not able to kind of suppress what they're doing. When they're in a group, they keep interrupting or they're not able to stay still and take their turn. You know, there's been studies that have shown that kids who, who have an attention deficit disorder and are not being treated with a stimulant, they have a higher degree of substance abuse because they're trying to self-medicate. They have a higher degree of getting fired from their job, especially with adolescents who have an, atten an untreated attention deficit disorder. It puts them at a risk for you know, doing mm -hmm. drugs, getting arrested, doing stuff that precipitates getting arrested, not functioning well with their peers, not finishing school. People always kind of understand this, that they have syphilis. <laughs> no question. They have syphilis and they take penicillin. Everybody agrees. Yeah, I'm going to go home and take this penicillin because it's going to get rid of the syphilis. That's a good pill. I don't want syphilis. I want to take the penicillin. And of course, the penicillin makes the syphilis completely go away so you can then stop taking the penicillin. And attention deficit is kind of the same as that, except it kind of fills in what genetically you're not doing. And if you stop it, you just go back to what you're genetically not doing. So, so do you think, I think it's interesting that you sort of compare ADHD ADD with syphilis. And I'm wondering, do you think if we treat it like a, a neurological disorder, right? Do you think that there's strengths in having an ADD mind? I know there's like a lot of emphasis on neurodiversity and sort of honoring that. Do we lump ADD in with that group or do we treat it as a problem that needs to be fixed? Well, there is neurodiversity and we don't want to hold somebody's disorder against them. They have attention deficit disorder and they can't get stuff done. We don't want to just kind of say, you're a, you're a criminal, go away. The, the, the thing with an attention deficit disorder, whether you want to have a diverse population or not, it's the single person. It's the, it, it's the individual that's impacted by the lack of treatment. Hmm. I'm, people who are manic have a bipolar illness. That being manic is a really great creative phase to be in. You'll just get all sorts of great artists paint, 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 and right, 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 when they're manic. And, you know, it's that's probably not completely true. With an attention deficit disorder, that's not a place that's got a lot of benefits. The people who have it are, their whole life is impacted. They're not able to get to the top of their professions. They're not able to get a job and have it for a lifetime. They're not able to maintain relationships. You know, marriages fail and friends go away because of their impulsivity and their inability to stand still long enough to gather what someone's saying. Their lack of organization impedes what they can successfully do. And so that's what we're looking for when we're recognizing kids and teens and adolescents. Are they not reaching their potential? Because one of the pieces parents are wondering, how do I know if my kid has ADD? Like at what point do we try and get them assessed? Should every kid be assessed? We start in first grade and when they're all squirrely or do we wait? You can wait. It's the kid that can't get stuff done. The kid that, you know, they either didn't pick up the right paper at school and came home without the homework, or they came home with the homework, but left it in their backpack and never got it out to do it or got it out. But then, you know, um, started doing it, but then started reading the wrong chapter that they're not organized enough to remember that they, they if they're going to get the homework done, they need to allow at least 10 minutes to do it somewhere in the day. And they can't just kind of keep putting it off thinking that, oh yeah, I've got, I can go out for the evening and I'll do it afterwards. They need to make time for it. The kid who keeps losing things, you know, like where are your house keys now? Are they've lost their backpack? They just were holding their water bottle and now it's like, where the hell did it go? You know, it's... <laughs> And some of that, that learning to track their stuff is a normal development piece, right? Because they're transitioning, especially younger kids, they're transitioning from having their parent people do it all for them to them taking responsibility for their stuff. Right. It is, but it is 
developmental thing. They have to learn to be organized and to remember the 12-year-old keeps losing things, loses his pencil, loses the homework, comes home without his coat again and again. The child who can finally get the homework home and kind of can begin it, but then doesn't turn it in. They never quite finished it or they left it at home or they say, I'll, I'll turn it in next week. We lost a year of that sort of social development. I'm just thinking about the younger kids that I work with as a school counselor versus you know, high school and even early college. So how did COVID affect the presentation of ADD symptoms or set us back in terms of helping adolescents manage impulsivity, inattention, and hyperactivity? But you see it to a degree in all of the kids. It's the person who is kind of, it really stands out a little bit. They're, they're not able to kind of stay where they're supposed to stay and get it done. Like even if you have a bunch of kindergartners, you know, and you're, they jump up and they're impulsive and they talk. But when you say it's circle time, come and sit down, they all kind of come to the circle time. This is the hyperactive part that the kid who jumps up and is going to go and, you know, it's going to go over there and finish his picture and he's not going to do circle time. And then it turns out that the drawing the picture wasn't even what we were doing today. We were doing something else altogether. Kids at grade one, you know, pick up your sticks. We're going to count to 10 now. The kid who like doesn't get the sticks or picks up a handful of sticks are going against the beads instead and doesn't follow through with the task, doesn't remember what the task is. It's the Mm -hmm. kid who kind of isn't really picking up at the beginning of the task and following through to the end of it. They're not able to remember what the task is. They're not able to remember the first step. And so when we're seeing those kids in as teens, as adolescents, middle school, high school, and then even college, what advice would you have to parents of that age group to get them support? Medication, medication. You get on medication and then it's like, I was able to sit down I was able to get my homework. I remembered what I needed to do. And I sat down and I looked up the right book and I wrote the paper and I turned it in on time. I was able to get out of bed on time and go have breakfast and get to class. I was able to um, go to work each day and get there on time. And then when I got there, I was able to go to the meetings and sit still and listen to what was being told and then go and complete my tasks. I didn't leave them until next week. I didn't um, keep trying to do something else or I didn't kind of keep getting up from my desk and going and talking to somebody in the other room. I have one student, a high school student, who described it as, it's like my head is a jar of bees. They're just buzzing around in there and that starting medication quelled that for her. Yes, and if you had asked that kid more questions, this thing of bees in your head, when you finally get to sit down because you are really wanting to get this paper done, what happens? It's an organizational thing and it's an impulsive thing. The girl with the bees in her head, she would have all these other things as well. Why do you think parents and and society to a certain degree is so hesitant to embrace medication as that fix-all? With psychiatry especially, it's very hard for people to kind of wrap their head around the fact that the brain, it works like a big engine, that there can be specific things that are wrong with it that can be fixed. Psychiatric moods and behaviors and anxiety and concentration can actually be treated with a chemical. People sometimes believe that they're not real. They they always say it's in your head, which I think is hilarious Mm -hmm. because aren't the feeling that the pills are going to damage them somehow. You know, my kid's going to take this Adderall and it's going to give them heart disease or brain disease or uh, make them not sleep forever or lose all sorts of weight. And so they want to just not do it at all without recognizing that the symptoms arise from a very specific disorder that the medications address. The medication, taking some 
Adderall, for instance, you're taking a bunch of dopamine and that that kind of clears up the traffic jam on I-5 and allows the ability to think and organize in the brain to function, finally to flow, to um, become cohesive and organized as opposed to kind of just fizzling and being like a bunch of bees. I, over the course of my, my career in psychiatry, getting something fixed with a pill is a real, that it's a weak person, that if you were stronger, more macho, you wouldn't have to take a pill for that. And so, and the outcome of not giving your kids meds is that they, you know, might be able to fiddle fart their way through grade two and grade 11, but that can be also very painful for the kids. They don't get so, it. So medication can also support their social connections. Because the same symptoms impair their social connections. It really, it impedes their ability to function with peers. The peers just get pissed off after a while, you know, like yeah. you're just any fun. What the hell? I'm not going to ask you to come again. And so that happens. It's not just in school. It's in their life. This is due to their inability to organize and remember and follow through. Yeah, it's so easy to do. Instead of making changes to lifestyle or working with schools and family systems to change the behavior. Benefit of the, the medication is that it really makes a difference. Things become crisp. The bumblebees all stop buzzing. But what happens when a teen stops taking it? If you stop taking them, it doesn't leave any end organ damage. It doesn't, your body doesn't remember. As soon as it's out of the system, your body doesn't remember it ever took it. Lots of parents have concerns about overdose. Can a person overdose on ADD meds? Yes, if you took an overdose, if you took too much of it, you'd be really buzzed and sped up. Dr. Moslin, I got to say like one big reason that parents don't want their kids on ADD meds is because of the significant side effects. Can you say more about that? There are some side effects and there's side effects to everything. I mean, there's side effects to Tylenol and the side effects from Tylenol are actually kind of worse than the side effects from Adderall. There's a risk of a child who's taking Adderall that their sleep will be disturbed and they won't be able to sleep. And that does happen. It happens so rarely that usually what happens is that we treat them not sleeping rather than take away the Adderall. We just give them some, a sleeping pill of some sort or that the kid won't eat. Eating becomes a problem and the, and it, the child actually falls off of the growth curve. And that's more concerning that, that probably the Adderall would be stopped and switched to something else. So most kids don't have that. Most adults don't have, although it's risk. You know, there is a risk. There's a risk. But, but what I hear you saying pretty clearly is that the benefits way outweigh the risks. Oh, they do. And there's such a difference. Well, and Pamela, I'm aware of our time. I could just like talk to you all day long. Thank you. Well, that's our episode number nine, just in time for October ADHD Awareness Month and Mental Health Screening Month. Thank you so much, Dr. Moslin, for taking the time to share your expertise. I hope you enjoy a cup of Phil's coffee this week, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode about effective discipline, because taking away their phone just doesn't really work. Thank you for downloading this episode and subscribing to this podcast. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. 